This is episode 97 with the winner of the 2016 Olympic Trials 800 meters, second at the 2017 Outdoor Track National Championships 1500 meters, a 422 miler with the nickname Fast Kate, Ms. Kate Grace. Welcome back to the Strength Running Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Fitzgerald, and it's my job to bring you the smartest and most accomplished minds in the sport of running so that you can learn more, make better training decisions, and reap the rewards. Because as I like to say, knowledge is a competitive advantage. And we have a good one for you with one of the big names in track and field today, Kate Grace. Her mom is a famous 80s aerobics and fitness instructor, so she was exposed very early to the world of exercise and fitness, and I think that showed very early on in her high school career with her talents on the track. She was a multiple league champion. She won the California Southern Division 800-meter race three times. She placed third at the state meet 800 with a PR of 210, and during her senior year, she won the state Division Four cross-country championships. Kate then attended Yale, where she broke four school records, she won six HEPs championships, and was a four-time D1 and cross-country All-American. Now, she's an Olympic trials champion, a runner-up at outdoor nationals in the 1500 meters, and boasts a mile PR of 422. Wow. In this interview, we actually spend more time talking about the mental side of running, how she handles anxiety and pre-race jitters and what she does during a workout to be more mentally engaged, and how even though she's been racing at such a high level for well over a decade, I think about 12 years, she still has many of the same fearful thoughts that she did when she was a high schooler. We're going to talk about her strategies for staying mentally tough when those thoughts come up. I'd also like to thank Inside Tracker for making today's show possible. They're such a great supporter of the show, and they test your blood to find any kind of abnormalities, whether that's from stress, overtraining, or even injury, and then they give you recommendations on how to get back into your personal preferred optimal zones. Go on over to InsideTracker.com and use code STRENGTHRUNNING at checkout to save 10% on any test. All right, my friends, without further delay, please welcome the powerful Kate Grace. Hi, Kate. How are you today? Hi, I'm great. Happy to be here. Kate, we have a lot to talk about today, but maybe I want to start with your childhood, because while I was preparing for this conversation, I learned that your mother is kind of famous. She was one of the top aerobics instructors in the 80s and 90s and has sold millions of workout videos and partnered with the American Diabetes Association. And I'd love to just explore what that was like for you as a child. I mean, how aware were you as a kid of, you know, your mother's big place in the fitness industry? It's so funny. I mean, I'm definitely more, I'm almost more aware of it now. I feel like when you're a kid, the life of grownups is just like a total mystery, right? So my mom being, yeah, this kind of like workout expert, fitness, like having all these jazzercise aerobic videos, um, it was like, it's kind of, it was like a kind of fun trivia tidbit, but it wasn't necessarily that uncommon. I also grew up in LA, so I feel like maybe it would have been we- different if I was in a different city, but LA, a lot of people's, or wouldn't, wasn't completely uncommon for people's parents to have kind of weird jobs, right? There's a lot of people who are in, in the entertainment business in some sense. Um, 
so yeah, I mean, when I was younger, the biggest thing that I noticed is that we always had like an incredible options for like 80s costumes. We had so many, there were so many like colorful spandex things in our house. <laughs> um, so that was like the most fun part of it. Uh, and obviously my mom was like very into having an active lifestyle. Um, but if anything, it's one of those things now that I feel like as I've grown up and realized that other people's parents it's not always as common for them. Like other people's parents might be, be, I don't know, like just business professionals or doctors or lawyers or whatever uh, that I now realize I more and more realize like what kind of unique uh, experience that was. Do you still have a lot of eighties outfits just like lying around your, your mom's house <laughs> that you could you know use for Halloween or, or other just fun parties? When I was in college, I definitely made use of them. Um, I mean, now it's so funny, like how things work out. Now I, I know I'm the one that has so many. I'm uh, overloaded with workout clothing, right? So that's the one perk about being a professional runner is you definitely are not lacking in the workout clothing. So and it's now like it's all the new stuff. If anything, it's um, she was just visiting me the other day and the Nike store, all they're showing is like this totally retro, like big baggy pants um, with kind of super colorful spandexy tops. So what is what's old is new or whatever, whatever the phrase is. <laughs> yeah. Well, I ask because I don't know if you know Craig Engels, but he loves the 80s, has an 80s RV. Uh, I actually just spoke with him for the podcast, and he, <laughs> we were talking about how he gave a tour of his RV wearing a leopard skin coat, and he has the <laughs> mullet, the 80s uh, mustache. And for him, it's just, you know, well, I got the mustache, so I had to get an RV. Of course, that's a logical yeah. line of thinking. <laughs> um, you know, I'm sure like your mom being who she was did encourage you guys to, uh, you and your siblings to have a more active like life. You know, were you encouraged to, to exercise more as a kid? And what did that look like? Yeah. Um, first of all, it's funny. Craig and I are following each other around. Uh, we just did the Tracklandia episode together which is like a live show that they do here in Portland. Um, and I was making fun of him because he was saying how he was so scared meeting people when he was on his RV trip. But I'm like, they definitely were more scared of him. Like he's definitely the one, if he meets older people, they're the ones that are going to think that he's like the serial killer, right? <laughs> yeah. So he's scared of everyone else. Like, no, I would be scared seeing you randomly in a leopard print suit <laughs> walking around your RV. It's kind of creepy. Um, but yeah, with growing up, I, um, again, it wasn't, it, it's interesting now seeing parents get their kids, um, into, I mean, I did do a lot of, I did do a lot of like, whatever, uh, kind of organized sports and things, but actually that was more my dad's thing. My mom, it was more just activity was like our family hobby, right? So we would go out and hikes on the weekends, um, or in the summer times we, yeah, we would do hiking and, um, or like our, whenever we was mother's day or any kind of like kind of holiday, like that mother's day or like Memorial day, anything, we would go to the beach and we would do a bike ride along the beach. Um, and then like go grab ice cream or something on the way. So it was, it was more just that, in general, I saw my parents and that, that they were active, um, and that we, and we were able to like kind of join in that. And that's how we, yeah, that's what our family Adams were really growing up. Um, which I really appreciate cause it definitely like now living in Portland. Um, I don't know. I, I love having 
being instilled the idea that like that can be a social activity. Um, and, and I think running also has that kind of culture, right? I mean, yes, you compete with running, but also running can just be social. Like you go out, you go out and run with your friends. Yeah. It's not like you were, you got older and all of a sudden like a, a one or two hour hike and was a weird thing. That was something that you grew up yeah. doing. And I'm sure it kind yeah. of almost helped your mentality when it came with, with running because, you know, you're in high school and your coach says, go run for an hour, an hour and a half. You, I'm sure you weren't thinking to yourself, wow, that is such a long time to be out there because <laughs> you've been doing it your your whole life almost. Yeah, no, I mean, that would be it's an interesting way of putting it, but yes, I definitely agree with that. Um, and we even, they even took us on longer trips. We went a few times, we went camping. Yeah. Where we would go on much longer. Like you were walking for multiple hours at a time. Um, although it's funny cause my mom like hates camping. So she definitely, uh, not hates it, but she definitely would prefer being in a bed at night. Um, so it's funny that she, that we still did that when I was younger, she kind of hid it. She kind of hid her discomfort from us. Well, you know, um, I'm more of a glamper myself, uh, but you still have to do it. I have three kids and you know, yeah. you got to bring them, uh, hiking and camping. It's like a rite of passage, even if you, you do prefer a little bit of a fancier place to sleep at night. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Now, Kate, you never thought of rebelling and just being a couch potato and in, in protest. It's funny. My sister and I do joke about this. That even now, when we go home, we have most people when they go home for Christmas, they like it's that's your excuse. You go home for the holidays, and that's when you can just like sleep in and not do anything. And it's we call it like Kathy's boot camp or something. Even when we go home now, it's like if we're not up and at the gym or in the morning. Um, she's like worried about us or slightly nagging us <laughs> to, to get out. So it definitely, it's a different form of like holiday relaxation when I go home to my, to my mom's house. Um, so maybe I rebel now, but growing up, no, I think I ended up loving, I, I played soccer and I fell in love with that for many years. And then that led me to track. Um, and yeah, never always, I always really enjoyed it, which again, I definitely credit my mom for that is that it was, it came, it seemed like because it came out of a place of just like general fun and being outdoors and being active that it wasn't, there wasn't necessarily like a risk of burnout. You know, it's funny you mentioned talking about going home to see your family and it's like the opposite of this relaxing sleeping in experience. Because when I started uh, hanging out with my wife's family a lot more when we were dating, uh, it was the same thing. I mean, they were doing a turkey trot on Thanksgiving, and, and that just wasn't really a tradition in my family. Uh, they used to do a triathlon on Memorial Day every year. And this is like, you know, it's Memorial Day weekend. You're supposed to just be drinking the whole weekend, like pretty much. Yeah. And instead, we're getting up at five in the morning to do a triathlon. And, you know, none of us are swimmers. None of us are cyclists. Oh, if anything, like some of us are runners in the family. And it's mm -hmm. an open water swim. I was like, what is this family? What am I getting into? It was it was very challenging. Um, but I want to talk a little bit more about, you know, your running career and your training. Um, you know, you've had, you've had several coaches over the last, uh, couple of years or so, I think about four over the last six years. Um, has that been hard for you? Cause I know a lot of, a lot of, uh, elite runners kind of prefer to have one coach over a long period of time. I'd love to hear your thoughts on, on kind of that whole process. Yeah, it's actually interesting. That's one of the things that I, not that I have. I'm trying to think. 
I definitely get a little bit edgy when asked about it. Not not with you, but just in general, because I feel like or it's I get self-conscious because I feel like that's the one of the things that I feel like is mildly misunderstood with my running career is that somehow I would get labeled as flaky or something because I've changed coaches. Um, and yeah, it's interesting. I, I it, it's like I always or I always feel like I need to explain myself or excuse myself for having different coaches, right? Um, and now, Kate, I want to be clear. I don't. I wasn't insinuating that you were flaky or anything like that. I know, I know, and I mean, you definitely weren't. Um, it just, it's funny that I, I still, I, I think, yeah, I still get this like emotional reaction to it sometimes. I mean, I've had incredible experiences with all of them, starting with Gat. So Frank, I was in, I started my post collegiate career at NGNY, um, New Jersey, New York Track Club, uh, and Frank Gagliano was the coach. He still is the coach, um, and. Yeah, he's just like this incredible grandfather figure um, that had such an impact on my transition from college. Um, and I still think of as like like the godfather coach of, in my life. Uh, and I actually feel, I would say when I put my like spin on it, I feel lucky that I've been able to train under so many different like great minds um, and kind of learn from them. Uh and if I think about like running is I'm only going to have a limited time as a runner, as an elite runner. Right. So, I mean, you only have a certain amount of years, but your body works with you still. Um, it's like, I've been able to train with so many different, with, with different people and kind of learn, kind of see their different, what's common among them and what's not. And, uh, and also in that way, like learn for myself, what do I like in a coach? What do I need? Um, what works and what doesn't for me? Uh, and yeah, I feel like I've been able, I think especially when I came out of college, coming from like not being a total superstar athlete, I felt like this need that I needed to just like learn so much information in a shorter period of time, right? Because I was thinking, okay, everyone I'm running against was maybe winning NCAA championships in college. And if I wasn't, it's like, okay, I need to like just compress all of my training and learning. Um, and in a way, I feel like I've been able by learning, by being with different coaches, been able to to kind of do that and just like get a very a broad view of what it means to be an elite athlete in the U.S. and um, what different programs there are out there. That said, it's not always easy changing coaches, right? I mean, I think if anything, I've gotten I've like had to practice it quite a bit, um, and it's not always. And there's different reasons why you need a change. I do believe that one thing that I've been able to do is. Um, kind of like take stock of my life and what I need as an athlete and as a person at different points and been able to make the call if I needed to move for whatever reason, sometimes for a sponsor or sometimes a sponsor was starting a different club or like up here with Bowerman, there was this incredible opportunity to be on the Bowerman track club. Um, and yeah, and, and make the hard decisions that, okay, what's going to be best for my training, for my progression or like what I need as a person. Do I want to move if I'm going to, I'm, if everything else in my life is pointing me to move to a certain place, I can't just stay for a coach, right? And I feel like sometimes people don't necessarily, or they find that out too late. Like there's something's wrong. Like they don't have a job and they're not able to make money or their things just, they're not close to family, but they try to make like, what's the a square peg fitting around hole for too long, just because they think that they need to be with this one person. But you know what? Like there are many ways to, there are many ways to make, 
a good training situation work and to, and, and to find a good training situation. And I feel like the more you're able to find, to, to create a life that you feel good about, the more you're going to be able to like have that long-term stamina with training. And that's all that really matters. Right. Yeah. It seems like there's a big emphasis placed on balance and it's, it's not just who the coach is. It's all the other things that are going on. It's where you are. It's your family. It's, you know, the opportunities in a certain location for you. So there's a lot to consider. Yeah. I mean, yeah, like to be honest, even with starting with NGNY, I was I'm so amazing being in New Jersey, but like my family's in the West Coast. My sponsor was in the West Coast. There's so many things pulling me back. And yeah, like Gags is, is an incredible person and it's so hard to leave. But then there in the end, I felt like I couldn't sustain myself alone on the East Coast for more than a few years. And if I wanted to be in the sport, I needed to be able to sustain that, you know? Well, I'm glad you gave me this answer because I really wanted to hit on what you've learned over this period of time and, and everything you've learned, not just about running, but about yourself and about what works for you. Um, and it seems like you have learned a lot. I mean, so maybe if we look back, how has your, your training changed since, you know, you were running in New Jersey in 2011, you know, over the years? Yeah, it's so crazy. So much has changed. And that's the other thing is that people, and especially now as I'm like I just turned 30, like you realize that you are a different athlete when you're 23, right? Um, I I mean, everyone always jokes about it, but totally true. Like I do roll now every time before I run and I didn't do that before because I didn't have to and now I kind of do, right? Um, and so you, as an athlete, I've if I've taken it as like a fun challenge to learn, okay, like what do I need at this point in my career? Um, and yeah, so I'm trying to think when I was 20, 23 in New Jersey, um, I mean, a lot of it also is just like being able to handle more, right? So at that point, I was coming from being a sprinter in college. So even just like three mile tempos were a big deal for me. There was a lot of just like big milestones. Um, Drew Wartenberg, who's was all, also my coach recently, um, we used to say that like the process of being an athlete is, is you're trying to, you're like clearing away stones. Um, and at first you're trying to clear away the big boulders and then you like slowly try to get down to the pebbles until the very end, you're like polishing off the sand. Um, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what from, from what, like maybe from like your doorstep or something, whatever, like you're trying to clear this area <laughs> of, um, and so I feel like in the beginning when I'm in New Jersey, oh, it's like this big boulders, like, oh my gosh, my first Michigan workout or my first like kind of VO2 max type workout that I've never done this stuff before. Um, so anything was exciting. Now there's a, now it's kind of like, yeah, this, you kind of, you increase your mileage. Um, I, now what I'm really working on is much more of the speed endurance type stuff, which I never really did before. So Jerry's really big on a lot of these workouts where we have like very little rest. So I'll do, we'll do 200s, 300s, 400s with like a 30 second jog in between, which is basically no rest. Right. And this stuff just kills me, but that's what you need to do. If you're going to be like a good middle distance runner. Right. Um, and yeah, and that's something that I never did when I was, I didn't do, five years ago that I, I feel like is a new challenge for me. Yeah. The way I think about it, it's, it's almost like building a house. You're not going to put in the fancy vanity in your master suite bathroom when you haven't laid the foundation yet, when you haven't even built the second story yet. So it sounds yeah. like you've really focused very strategically on the fundamentals first, you know, you got your, you know, the, the, 
basic workouts done, you're building your mileage, you're getting stronger. And now that you are, you know, you're older, you're, uh, you have that base of, you know, over a decade of endurance underneath you. Now you can do these really challenging workouts where, you know, when you're in high school, you probably shouldn't be doing those workouts. They're just way too grueling. Um, now what has stayed consistent in your training? Cause you know, I also understand at the end of the day, there's only so many ways that you can train a runner. And for the most part, a lot of training programs look you know, at a high level, very similar, you know, so what are some of the things that have remained consistent that, that you do, you know, maybe not on a weekly basis, but, uh, regularly in your training now? Yeah. I mean, you're right in terms of just like overall how my week looks, it hasn't changed that much. Right. I run mileage. It's maybe like a little bit more now than it used to be, but still running every single day. You have a long run weekly long run has been probably the most consistent thing for the past however many years. Um, and, and yeah, just trying to kind of string days together of good work. Um, and I mean, there's certain types of like at one point speed work is always the same. 200s are always 200s. We did 200s yesterday. Um, it's funny. I was thinking I haven't done 200s in a while. That's like bread and butter for a middle distance runner. But, um, I think basically two workouts a week plus a long run is generally what I've done for forever, right? One kind of more strength based, one more speed based, long run. Um, again, the speed endurance stuff is relatively new to me, and I didn't really do intense. And then hills were also relatively new, um, starting like three years ago. I didn't really work, train hills, um, but yeah, that general kind of flow of the week. Um, and yeah, and I would say I would also definitely include physical therapy prehab rehab and nutrition in terms of like other things that I've had to try and like learn and see what worked for me um and go through some like hills and valleys of figuring that stuff out but I'm a big believer that if you're trying to stay healthy and therefore like make gains over the long term understanding what your body needs in terms of those things um is almost as important as getting in whatever new fancy workout. Now, do you focus more on physical therapy and nutrition? And, you know, you mentioned foam rolling a lot more regularly now. Yeah. Do you focus on those <laughs> things more now that you're, you know, uh, more of a seasoned runner than, than a, a new runner? I went through definitely a period. I would say uh, I went through more of a period. I was injured for about two years, a year and a half, basically like in the year and a half before the Olympic year. I was pretty injured and I think a lot of runners go through this when you get your first major injury. First of all, you have a lot of energy, um, more energy and you just like kind of want to never go through that again. So I like really dove deep onto trying to figure out, um, prehab stuff and nutrition. Um, just, yeah, for how, how can I recover? How can I, how I make myself able to withstand this training load and not get injured? So that was actually more so when I did a lot of the research in that, but I think probably like anyone, there's you get so much information thrown at you that it's like it almost took me a few years to then like distill all of it and understand what I like what worked for me, right? I mean, like I still get confused if I look online about all the different ways, different recovery tools and different diets you can do and blah, 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 blah. At one point, I think you need to go through the period of collecting the information, but then also like get to the point where you can use it and be much and be more simple with it, if that makes sense. That makes that makes a lot of sense because you know there's there's going to be things that work for you that don't work for someone else and vice versa yeah. and it's a process of trial and error and I think it's very heartening to hear 
an elite athlete say that 10 years into my career, I'm overwhelmed with the amount of information out there and it takes me time to go through it all, to synthesize it and to figure out what works for me because, you know, every runner deals with that. And it's just almost kind of like a, you know, we're like just... I'm just optimistic hearing you say that because it means that you don't have it all figured out. And sometimes, you know, we, we think that pro runners do have it all figured out. And, and just an example of you being a human being is, uh, is, is really good. Uh, now, you were talking more about physical therapy and prehab and the things that you do to stay healthy because I yeah. agree with you. Once you have your first major injury, it's like, how do I never experience this again? What are some mm-hmm. of your favorite prehab or recovery strategies that you use to stay healthy? Because obviously you're you're running a lot. You're running, uh, you know, some really intense workouts. What do you do to stay healthy? I've tried, again, to simplify it so that I'm not overwhelming myself. I definitely am one person that I'm, I'm sure we all can. I do have a list of PT exercises that's like 20 long and I'm just not doing any of them. Um um, my feet tend to be an issue. So for a while, or if I'm if I'm going through a period of hard training or something, I actually like doing like right in the morning before I even get out of bed, um, a few different things because I again dealing with plantar and a few different and like flexor halysis stuff. Um, I felt like when I was getting out of bed with cold feet and that I was hurting myself. So I would do even some like kind of, you know, you do the, the alphabet, the alphabet movements with your, with your feet and spell the alphabet or whatever to like kind of warm up your calves and then do some like scrunchy things with your toes just to like warm up all the muscles. Um, so I'll just literally do those little things in my bed before I even get up. Um, uh, yeah. And that, I tend to like that just as a way, I just feel like if I go the morning walking around and something's kind of off and I'm limping that just sets me up for a bad day of running, you know? Um, and that's literally like two minutes in my bed before I get out of bed. Um, and then really for me, like actually just, I don't know, rolling is such an easy thing. And I know that there are fancier ways to do it, but just doing some easy foam rolling and like two glute activation exercises, are like really all I need to do before runs. Yeah, there are fancier ways of doing it, but that's like, it's so simple. And it takes, again, like five minutes. Now, you also talked about some staple workouts. And I love hearing about staple workouts for middle distance runners because, you know, we don't really see a lot of the training that middle distance runners do. You know, you can go online and get a 10K training plan, a half marathon plan, but you really can't find an 800 meter training plan that that's really going to include all the complexity that's needed. So you mentioned 200s, that they're kind of a staple workout for middle distance runners. What are some of your staple workouts that you love coming back to? Well, it's a funny, so that is one thing that I, it has definitely, that's the biggest thing that's probably changed is with different coaches. Um, it, when I was running only 800s, my big like indicator workout kind of was, um, you would do sets of three by 200 with 30 seconds rest. So you're trying to do your race pace in the 200s, but each 200, yeah, you only have 30 seconds rest. So by the end of it, you're like breathing pretty hard and you do three sets of that. So that was like a pretty big, um, again, I will not indicator, but like when I was feeling sharp, um, that was a good one just to like, know you were ready to run an 800. Right. Um, in terms of, 
Yeah. I mean, it's funny in terms of actual like bread and butter workouts now, um, we do quite a bit. Again, I'm training with 5k athletes so my training looks much more like 5k training but it's like it's tempo reps that then slowly lead into just straight tempos on the track so maybe I don't know four to six miles of tempo work on the track followed by some like quicker kind of cut down type stuff so maybe like a, a mile 12 eight four after you're tired from the tempo work um and the speed endurance stuff is similar, but it's like maybe you do 10 by 200 with 30 seconds rest and you're doing it at like a 1500 meter race pace or 10 by 300 with 30 seconds rest. Um, and again, so by the end of that, it's not that hard in the beginning. It's extremely hard at the end. Uh, and the whole idea is you're getting used to kind of running through that lactic acid and clearing it out quicker. I love hearing the workouts that that pro <laughs> runners do. They're usually they're usually double the distance that work the, of workouts that us <laughs> your mortals can do. <laughs> now, I want to talk about something that you wrote about recently that I found really interesting. You've written um, that you want to choose courage over comfort. And you know, as a side note, I, I think you got this from a mutual friend of ours, Nicole Antoinette. Everyone should go to her website. It's a great site. She's a great podcast and all that. Um, but what does this phrase mean to you? Courage over comfort. Yes, I love that. Um, and you're right. It's from she actually got it. She does this weekly email series also. That's just great. She does kind of these this little bits of wisdom um, that she sends out on Fridays. Um, and yeah, I guess her, when she her writing about it, it was the opposite. What's she saying? Uh, what is it? it's it's the opposite of courage isn't uh, it's something about basically how like the opposite of courage is comfort. And so at one point you're not like it's not that you're being it's not that you're I'm trying to think of how do you know how she phrases it? She did something, phrase it just she phrased it so well. <laughs> Are you going to look it up? Yeah, you should. I, I uh, absolutely should. Let me check it out because uh, I think it's worth us exploring this a little bit because it's it's a really good mental model for dealing with running when it gets hard. And I mean, look, running is going to get hard. And, you know, Nicole said courage isn't the opposite of fear, but of comfort. And um, you know, you were, you were writing about how you're kind of seduced by this desire to stay home a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, I definitely, it's funny. So I was writing that actually in terms of racing. It's interesting to me, even though I've raced now for I don't know, over 10 years, including college, um, at a pretty high level. And you would think that you would get over those, you would, you would get over like your, yeah, different kind of fear mechanisms, I still deal with them. I mean, I, I'm able to kind of push them aside quicker, but even after I feel like I'm such a seasoned runner, um, I still have these thoughts. And that's why her quote is so good. It's not that I'm, it's not necessarily, yeah, it's not necessarily that I'm scared, but just like, I'll be, I'll be in at home in my, like, whatever, in the morning before I have to leave for some big race. And I just had this urge to like not go I just want to be I, I just want to continue to stay like in my warm little blanket and not um and not put myself out there uh and it will go it will pass the urge will pass but it still comes and it's just crazy to me that that urge still comes um and I guess maybe I wanted to write about it because I maybe was thinking that it would be other people would relate that, like even if 
you've reached a level where I have raced on the world stage. I've raced at world championships and the Olympics and all these different things. Like those thoughts still come to me uh, when I have to like consciously make it just make one effort. Okay. okay, That thoughts here. But even though I've thought it, I I can, it it doesn't mean I have to act on it basically. Um, And I think maybe that's where sometimes I used to get caught up. It's like, Oh my gosh, I've had this thought. It means that like, I'm not ready or I'm not, I'm not strong enough or like, how can I, I'm doubting myself. And it's like, no, it's okay that that's happened. And now just like move past it. Um, and that's another thing that she does. It's like, you just need 10 seconds of bravery just to like get over that inertia and then, and then you're good. Um, yeah, but it just something that it's, it's just interesting to me that I still, that I still kind of, I still have those or deal with those things. And, if anything, I just like have gotten the confidence to know that I can move move through that moment of inertia. Well, it's very good to hear too that you know you still experience some of this fear, some of this um, you know anxiety that comes with racing at a really high level, and you know it, it it almost doesn't matter if you know you're a runner getting ready for your first local 5K or you know you have 12 years of racing experience, you've raced internationally racing is racing and one of the really cool things that i love about running is that it almost doesn't matter how fast you are what your prs are you're going to have a very similar kind of mental approach to running uh as as someone with a pr that's much faster or much slower than you because running you know it's almost by effort and so if you know your effort means that you can run a 430 mile well that's great but maybe maybe your hardest effort is only an 830 mile it's still going to feel very similar and it's going to put you through the same kind of levels of anxiety and this is just you know I've done almost a hundred podcast episodes with some of my heroes in running, Meb Kaflesky and you know Kate Grace, and I still get nervous before these episodes because I'm I'm talking to people who are who I really look up to, and and I think it's just such a great example of the fact that fear or anxiety is never going to go away, and that courage is simply the ability to brush it aside and to keep moving forward. Um, so how do you kind of implement this in your life? You know, when you, when you start experiencing that anxiety or that fear, how do you kind of just use that 10 seconds of bravery to get over it? A few different techniques I've, that I've used. One that I'm experimenting with now. Um, do you ever listen to the, or get the peak performance, the, 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 those emails the um, there's this book peak performance yeah. that, uh, Steve Magnus and Brad Stolberg uh, just had yeah. Brad on the podcast. Okay. Yeah. Cause they have a new book out. Um, well, so they do, they do a lot of talk about the idea. I think Brad, maybe more so um, the idea of kind of from a meditation background that like your thoughts and feelings aren't you um, that like you can have thoughts and feelings that come in and just cause you have the thought doesn't mean it has to be you. So like you can have an anger thought come in and I guess this is, yeah, people also use it for anger management. Like anger thought can come in. It doesn't mean that you are the anger thought or you're necessarily angry. You just had this thought. Um, and like trying to separate the idea of your thoughts from like who your what your core value is. And so I try to do that also with the fear thoughts, like, okay, I, I can have a fear thought come in, but it's not that's not who I am. It's not my core value. It's just a thought. It's a cloud, but my, but who I am is not that cloud. Right. Um, that's one way of doing it. I actually, 
also got really into this idea of discomfort training. Um, this was more in 2016. My mom actually introduced me to it. Uh, I forget the name of the guy now. I can get you it for the show notes or something. But the idea that like, you can train yourself to be better at dealing with discomfort. And um, the little tagline is like, I'm a discomfort master. Everything that I have um, or er everything that I need to, to succeed is already within me and it's here to stay. And I, that was just like a little mantra that I would like say to myself. Um, and I would practice it at times that were uncomfortable, but not necessarily with running. So for me, um, with getting blood tests, my, my blood drawn and in turbulence and airplanes, I would do this thing where I would like, I, uh, uh, both times I definitely do not like those situations, right? Like my heart rate rises, I get kind of freaked out. Um, I would try to purposefully like say this little mantra, like I'm a discomfort master, everything that I need to succeed is within me and it's here to stay. And I would just like say this to myself in my mind and try to calm myself while they were taking the blood or whatever. Um, and I guess I, I use blood cause I get my blood tested for iron and stuff like not infrequently. Um, but the airplane thing also, or if I'm, or if I'm really hot, like if I, I was in a really hot car or yeah, doing a really hot run. That's also when I like start, I can tell that I start getting anxious. Right. Um, and yeah, so I would, practice calming myself at times of discomfort the idea being that then if I feel similar things like in a race or leading up to a race I know what it feels like to have that like fear rise and I am have practice at calming myself it's almost like you're practicing emotional regulation which clearly for a runner is enormously valuable yes that's a good way of putting it <laughs> Yeah, I mean, this is really interesting to me because, you know, when I think about the difference between an Olympic gold medal and fifth place, a lot of the times the differences aren't enormous. You know, the times aren't very, very different. And at the elite level, at the very top, the difference is often psychological and it's mental and it's, it's you know, how you respond to moves in a race and how you believe in yourself and push and when you start kicking and these decisions are often based on your emotions and what you're feeling in a certain time and, and all that. And I, and I can't help but think that at the highest levels, if you're not training your brain, just like you're training your body, then you're leaving a lot of potential on the table. Yeah. I mean, I definitely believe I, I would agree with that. Um, I, I made big breakthroughs in my racing when I finally started doing some sports psychology yeah, this uh, the book that kind of started me out on that was the book called Champion's Mind, or Champion Minds, Champion's Mind, um, by Stan, is it Stan Beecham? No, I'm messing, I'm mixing things up. Jim Aframo? Jim Aframo, yes. I have you got it right it. next to me. <laughs> uh -huh. Yeah, so that was the book that, um, that Drew gave us when we joined NorCal that was just kind of started me out on the idea of just taking certain little... I would take things that that worked for me, just like I would for, for example, for a PT or nutrition. Like, not that you have to necessarily use every every single sports psych trick, but if you can pick and choose a few that might work, um, I definitely I felt like was I was able uh, to make big gains, mostly and basically kind of like what you're saying. Like, I would practice, I would practice men, men, mental techniques like I would practice physical things, right? So just as I practice like how to get better. I practice and I do some kind of training to make my VO2 max better or whatever. Um, also, I would go and practice the discomfort training or I would 
or I would go into a workout and say, okay, I'm acknowledging I'm scared of this workout or I'm not, or I, I haven't felt like I pushed myself hard enough. So not only am I like my actual, my goal in this is actually like push when I feel like I want to give up. And so it's actually almost like a mental, the goal of the workout is actually like mental training almost more so than physical. Yeah. This, this idea, this concept of, of, mastering your mindset of really making sure that you have the psychological tools to deal with the discomfort of running because let's face it it's kind of a hard sport um mm-hmm. you know to me it's it's just really interesting because a lot of runners say yeah 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 i'll be tough when i need to be tough and this is almost like you know taking your vitamins eating your vegetables nobody really wants to but it has such a powerful uh, potential to really transform your running and in your relationship to running. Can you give mm-hmm. us a, a really specific example of when, you know, a, a certain scenario when you might use one of these, um, you know, sports psych uh, strategies and, and what that strategy might be to help you, uh, you know, maybe get over fear or be more confident or whatever it might be? Um, well, again, so like I was, I, I think, I think the thing is exactly what you said, you, it pays to practice these things in practice, right? Because every every fear and discomfort that you're going to get in a, in a race, you experience at some level in your practice, right? in, in, in a practice or, or in a training session, right? And so I have found that if I, I would target like a certain, for example, if there's a certain type of workout that I just tend to not like, um, maybe it's, this speed endurance stuff or like, a, or fart licks. Um, it's like, Oh, I don't, I don't like these workouts. I never do. And, and so I never do well on them. So I've already kind of like, I've already decided what the outcome is. Right. Um, I'm now going to target this workout. No, I want to target, um, like a changed mindset in this workout. So maybe I always feel like I give up like halfway through. Um, and so I, instead of doing that, I'm going to, I'm going to, when I start feeling like, kind of target target that negative mindset and have that be the goal for the workout. So if I always feel like I give up when things start getting hard, um, I'm going to ins- actually have like the not giving up be, be the goal of that workout. Like I'm going to like push through this initial, um, I'm going to push through like my initial urge to slink away when it gets hard. Um, and again, like that's, I guess that's kind of what we're all doing anyways in workouts. Um, I don't know, Kate, I might, I might disagree with you. I think a lot of people get into workouts and say, you know, my splits are X, Y, Z. If I hit my splits, then the workout was a success. Even if the whole workout, they're a basket case in their, in their heads. And you know, they're, they're not truly engaged with the workout. It's not giving them confidence. They're almost running scared. You know, I certainly have a lot of workouts where, you know, I finished it and I'm like, I'm so glad that workout was over. Yeah, I guess it went well, but it's still scary to me, you know, like, and it's not a productive mindset to have. Yeah, it's true. Well, so there's two things. Interesting. Um, for the past four year ne- four years now, at some level or another, I have done hill repeats as part as a workout. And those hills are great for working on the mental side of it because you can't really, there's not as much, um, crossover with hills in terms of like the time because the times can always vary even if you have a 200 or 300 meter hill the actual grade of the hill is going to change what the time is right um so you can't really compare them i guess you can compare them over time if you're doing the same hill over and over again but it's 
for me, hills became a great way to practice pushing through when I wanted to stop. Like I, um, again, this is something I've already talked about, but Drew Wartenberg would give us, he'd give us hill repeats and he'd say, okay, you can, um, you can stop or, or what was it? It was it, it was like 10 hill repeats, but like, if you, um, you can choose to not do one, if, if they're getting too hard, you can choose to not do one. And so then it was like this kind of mind game of like, you had to make the decision when you were going to not go. And then kind of, it works more well if, if you're in a group, but basically like knowing that you have that out, but then like forcing yourself to not take it. Um, cause if you're in a group, like maybe it's like you, you can choose to, to, to take the app, but you don't have to take it. And so, if we're all together, there becomes this peer pressure of like, okay, I, I could take it off right now, but I'm not going to because I don't want everyone else to think that I've kind of given up. Um, it becomes this, you then almost like by kind of overriding your initial desire to stop, you become more confident in your ability to, yeah, to like regulate your mind and regulate your negative thoughts. This reminds me of workouts where the coach will will just have you, you know, they'll change the workout in the middle of the workout while you're running it to give you yeah. like some uncertainty and, and to give you some anxiety in a workout. Because after all, like you, you've, you've been talking about, we're not just training you physically, we're training you mentally too. So, you know, you might have the ninth rep of 10 be an all out effort, or you might get to your 10 reps and the coach says, guess what, we're doing another one. And, and I think it's such an interesting way of training the mental side of, of running, because if we're not going to train that side, then, you know, you're going to be at a serious disadvantage on race day. So, uh, Kate, thanks for some of those examples. I'm definitely going to have to use some of those strategies in my own running. Cause, uh, I, I don't think that enough of us recreational runners really tackle the psychological side of running. And now granted, we're not running, you know, a hundred miles a week. We're not doing the crazy workouts, but uh, the mental side is something that we share with elite runners. Uh, Kate, thanks so much for hanging out with me a little bit today. Uh, we had some earlier troubles with a leaf blower right outside your window, <laughs> which was <laughs> kind of funny, actually. But um, now, before we head off, are you racing soon? When's your next race for you? Not for a little bit. I would say the first, I mean, the pre Prefontaine Classic is pushed back this year. It's not until end of June. Uh, I may race sometime in May uh, at like, there's the Oxy um, High Performance Distance Classic. Is that what it's called? Kind of up in the air to see like whether or not I'm doing that. Like it's so funny with uh, track athletes, but we never know our schedule until last minute. <laughs> so it's up to kind of, I've, I'm talking to, I'll talk to Jerry in the next few weeks about it. Yeah. Isn't the outdoor season incredibly long this year? It's really long and late. USA's is almost like five weeks later than it normally is. Um, so everything kind of pushed back this year. Yeah. I'm sure that's a challenge just having such a long season. Definitely. Also, it's weird with it so close to the Olympic year because it's like you don't there's this feeling that we've kind of started the build and you're not really going to have a rest until the Olympic year is over. Um, and that's not that that's fully true, but like at one point you can't, I don't know. Um, you don't want to be taking a huge rest, right? Uh, and then kind of start your build up late for the trials or something. Uh, so yeah, it definitely, I, I think I took a little bit more downtime in the last month or so. So hopefully that enables me to 
be firing all cylinders for a while. Yeah, probably smart before a really long season. Well, Kate, best yeah. of luck with your upcoming races. Uh, I hope we're able to follow along and see some of those results. Are they going to be posted on your social media profiles? Where are you most active? Yes. <laughs> um, I'm most active on Instagram um, at Fast Kate, but that said, I haven't posted on Instagram in like the last month, but I, I had a little bit of like a, I needed a little downtime from social, but Instagram is my general one. And there's also probably a link on there. I have like a kind of blog website where I also would like keep general, um, updates. Yes. And that, that website is fastkate.com and the Kate is K8. So if folks yes. want to check that out, uh, I actually read some of the posts that you have recently and, uh, they're just awesome. Uh, your most recent one from February, uh, race weight, I think is a, is a really good, uh, post on, uh, racing weight and your thoughts on that, that I think folks should check out. So Kate, thanks again for being here. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. It was fun, fun chatting. Hey there, Jason, one more time before you hit that pause button. How awesome is Kate? I really enjoyed this conversation because of Kate's transparency her willingness to open up about her training and coaching and the honesty that she brings to her running career. Do let her know if you enjoyed this conversation. She's on Instagram as Fast Kate. You can't miss her. And also a big thanks to Inside Tracker for sponsoring today's show. They're a health analytics company that does some really cool things. They test for over 40 different blood biomarkers. And based on your unique physiology, offer custom solutions to help you optimize any areas that are outside of your normal zones. So if you're training for a difficult race or you want to ramp up your recovery after a difficult race, or maybe you're just passionate running geek like me who's always searching for more ways to improve, you can get 10% off any test at insidetracker.com. Use code STRENGTHRUNNING at checkout. It's not case sensitive and it can be used for any of the different tiers of testing that they have, from the affordable DIY kit to the ultimate package. Just use code STRENGTHRUNNING to claim your 10% savings at Inside Tracker. And don't do what I did and get a bunch of blood drawn in the morning only to go summit a mountain at altitude an hour later. Some lessons just have to be learned the hard way. All right, thanks so much for listening to the show today. And as always, if you have any feedback or questions, don't hesitate to reach out. My email is support at strengthrunning.com. I actually read and respond to almost every single email that comes in. I'm here to help. Talk to you soon. 